Agents Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Follow a Boss. Follow a Boss is the real estate CRM that turns every agent into a top performer. Follow a Boss is packed with features, but it's intuitive and easy to use. So agents love working with it and it integrates with everything. Use multiple lead sources. Guess what? Follow a Boss keeps them all organized. Want to try new marketing channels? Switch website providers? Plug them right into Follow Up Boss. Visit followupboss.com forward slash lab code to see how Follow Up Boss helps you close more deals. That's followupboss.com forward slash lab code. If I told you that there was going to be a correlation between a BMX freestyler and a massive tech exit, and somehow we're going to tie that back to real estate. <laughs> Would you be able to figure that one out on your own? My guess is no. And I'm actually intrigued by this guest today who I just met a minute ago, literally. So I'm just like you listening today. Uh, we've got Ross Hamilton joining us, who was a BMX freestyler who exited a tech company for nearly $100 million, has done tons of real estate investing. And I'm really curious to hear all about uh, this story because obviously there is no there's no correlation between BMX freestyling and real estate, but the stories behind, you know, upbringings and kind of how people got to where they've gotten is always fascinating to me. So Ross, welcome to the show and just tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, what's uh, what led you to where you are today? Yeah, Jeff, I'm really excited to be here. And, you know, looking back, there are a lot of correlations between extreme sports and real estate. I mean, it's a full contact sport out there <laughs> when you're in real estate, whether you're an investor yeah, or true. an agent. And what I've found is how you do anything is how you do everything. Um, so yes, it's going to be a really fun, uh, a fun show. And um, I'm now here just to kind of give and share um, anything I can do to help other people reach, you know, freedom, financial security, uh, which feels really good once you get there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's truth. So, so tell us your story. Uh, you know, you went, yeah. obviously you were a freestyler and, and you got, you got a, an injury, but so tell us, tell us a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I started riding BMX at a very young age and I was lucky enough to have the Dave Mira of BMX, Michael, uh, excuse me the Michael Jordan of BMX, Dave Mira, yeah. moved to uh, my little town of Wilmington, North Carolina. So I became friends with this gentleman and helped him build his skate park. And I worked for him and he unofficially became my first mentor. And what that did for me, I got so good so fast once I was surrounded by this individual and his network of other people that were just on other levels. And Jeff, really, he showed me how things I thought were impossible were very possible. He would look at a jump and say, I'm gonna do a backflip and I'm gonna to touch my tire to the ceiling. To me, I'm thinking, if you touch your tire to the ceiling, you're gonna stop your rotation, fall straight on your head. By the end of the day, the ceiling was filled with tire marks. So just surrounding yourself with people who can you know, touch the ceiling, is, is such a huge uh, advantage when it comes to moving forward in your own, in your own path. So in, in BMX, I learned to surround yourself with people that were way better than you. 
um, that just like in real estate, the people that I was riding with and competing against were my friends as well. And that's kind of how real estate is. You know, your buddies, it's co-opetition. They, that the person that bothers you the most, that's your biggest competition is the best thing that ever happened to you, right? It's making you a better, stronger person. It's driving you in all these weird ways. And I also learned in BMX how to deal with risk because everything I was doing, there was risk associated. Every time I hit a jump, that could be, it could be an injury. Um, so I got okay with risk. And often after, after I would fall, I'm like, oh, that wasn't that bad. And then I would land it the next time because I was in my own way. Any trick in BMX is simple. I mean, a bar spin, you just throw your bars and catch them. But when you hit that jump, it's, you freeze up. So it helps, you, it helps you get over kind of your mental blocks. And that's what I learned in real estate. But I did suffer a pretty big injury at a pivotal part of my career, um, kind of that 17-year-old kind of getting ready to go to bigger, bigger uh, competitions, starting to compete at higher levels. And it, it put me out for a year and a half. I was in a cast. So by the time I came back, I had kind of, uh, I had to reevaluate what I was going to do. And I found real estate because it was the best option for people, for someone with limited options, but a lot of drive, right? I didn't need a degree. I didn't need, I, I almost became a real estate agent, but I went a different path. Um, and I was able to start making a lot of money in real estate. And the only thing between me and everything I wanted out of my life was what was between my ears. So that's why I really loved real estate. It felt, I went from flipping on my bike to flipping, flipping houses. So it was really, uh, yeah, it was a nice transition. That injury was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, and yeah, that was kind of the, the birth of how I went from BMX into real estate. By 23, I had been a part of or held about 50 houses. Hmm. Wow. So uh, first of all, let's digress for a second. If you don't mind me asking, what was the injury? Um, I twisted my ankle so far, it broke my leg. So I tore all the ligaments and tendons in my ankle. Uh, those take a long time to heal. And I'll never forget it, Jeff. When I lifted my leg, I could feel the weight of my foot on my skin. You know, like I felt my skin pulling. So I had, uh, you know, a lot of plates, a lot of screws, and then it took a long time to, um, to be able to ride again. Interesting. Interesting. And so when you come back from that in a year and a half, so you were, you said you were uh, 17 ish. So you're about 19 ish when you came back, I guess. Ru you know, roughly maybe 18, sure. 17, 18. Um, gosh, it was so long ago. I'm 41 now. But when I came back, the people that I was riding with had excelled so much in that year and a half. It was, you know, it was pretty tough. You know, it was, I really struggled with my identity and who I was because, you know, anything I do, I'm all in. Right. So if you didn't ride BMX, I had nothing to talk to you about because that's all I thought about. When I got into real estate, if you didn't invest in real estate, we probably couldn't even really be friends because that's all I was I was doing. A blessing and a curse looking back at it. But yeah, I was it was an identity shift and so, a, a good one. So as I'm as I'm trying to do the math here, you uh, did this. This is roughly around 2000 ish. Yeah. About right. OK. Um, and so you, you made that shift. So you come back from an injury, decide that it's, you know, probably too steep of a hill to climb to get back into the sport. 
you decide, I don't want to go to college. Uh, I assume that was a decision, obviously, that you made. And then I'm going to invest in real estate. Uh, and so what does that look like? So first of all, this is pre-crash. So, you know, it's interesting, you know, it's, it's important to know that, uh, but, but how does one at your age, because I think this is applicable to anyone, whether you're 20 years old or 50 years old, anyone, and there's a lot of people in the industry right now struggling that would like to do this, but are probably thinking to themselves, I don't have the ability to invest in real estate. So kind of describe and, and your story and how you went about it. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because I went about it the same way I went about BMX. Um, when I figured out that real estate was the fastest way to become a millionaire, I thought I'd play the odds. I, as young as I was, if, if, if you are under the age of 30, like take real estate really seriously. If you're over the age of 30, everyone I believe should be buying at least one house every 18 months to start building up a portfolio because real estate will eventually be what takes care of you. Um, I can, we can talk for hours about that, but it's, I think it's negligent not to be building a real estate portfolio um, because of all of the, the benefits of it generationally. Anyway, so I wanted to find the best of the best in my town. So I went to a local RIA meeting, Real Estate Investment Association. There was a gentleman talking who was doing a lot of business. And I just did anything I could to associate myself and surround myself with this individual. I would just show up at his office, Jeff, and ask him if he needed help with anything. And he's chased me away for a long time. And then one day, his right-hand man didn't show up. And he said, go put these signs up for me. I put the signs up, came back. What do you need now? And I just kind of kept showing up, just like I did with Dave Mira, to where all of a sudden I was kind of working with him. And we became partners. I mean, he's like, hey, find me some deals. We will figure something out when you do. So I watched him do a few deals. And I'm like, you know what? This really isn't all that hard. Like real estate investing compared to probably your normal job or other things you're doing, it's really not that complex. You can, you can, if you learn every, if you're trying to learn everything, it can be overwhelming. But if you're just focusing in on a few things, it's, you know, buy low, sell high, right? Easier said than done, but that's really, that's where I focused. I wanted to just get good at finding deals that couldn't be found on the MLS and working out creative seller finance deals. So that's what I, I got good at, uh, seller financing, subject to investing, because I couldn't get a lot of loans. I was able to get one loan, Jeff, and I bought one house with that. And uh, from there, I, I got an equity line on that house and I pulled 50 grand out and I leveraged that into almost 50 houses over the next uh, few years. And mind you, this was in a time when all you needed was a pulse to get a mortgage. Yes. And, you know, and Jeff, that was the thing. When I got my first loan, I said, what other business could I ever do where someone's going to give me $150,000? I had the worst job in the world, no experience, and I got 150 grand. Now I've, I've had a tech company as well. Raising money for a tech company is way harder or any business is way harder than real estate. So if you have a block in your head, I don't have the money. Just know that there is no business easier on this planet to get the money than real estate. If you can't get it for real estate, then you can't get it for anything. But um, you know, I used my real estate profits because real estate was so easy to raise money for. I used my real estate profits to fund my tech company. 
because it was easier for me to make money in real estate than it was for me to go on a roadshow and beg people to give me money on a half, uh, a half baked idea. Yeah. Excuse me. So <laughs> when it comes to that, let's talk about that first deal. Let's talk about that very first deal where you didn't have a loan for it and you use seller financing. Like, how did you structure that? And what what kind of advice would you give to somebody in today's world versus 20 years ago on potentially doing the same thing? Well, the cool thing is um, asking me this question now, it's a, I have a way better answer than I did, you know, just a handful of years ago because I was doing, um, I was knocking on the doors of people that were in some sort of financial distress, or I'd find people who inherited properties but lived out of town, all strategies I'm sure people are familiar with now. Um, and I would just try to work out a deal with these individuals, right? I would structure deals to maybe help them find another. I would just solve a problem. Like there's not one answer here, but what's beautiful is now if you do that same strategy, you can take over a three or 4% interest rate. You can go back in time on interest rates mm -hmm. and work out a deal, which is so very valuable. And there's so many different ways you can, you can slice and dice it. So Jeff, like I didn't get too concerned with knowing every possible way to make an offer or pretending like I knew all the answers when I talked to the homeowner. I actually, um, <laughs> kind of a funny story here. My middle name is Elliot, and I pretended I worked for this person named Dr. Elliot. I read in a book, people listen to doctors, right? So I'm like, all right, I have this partner, Dr. Elliot, and I was just opening up the door. Hey, are you interested in selling your house? We have a lot of creative solutions. And I got tons of no's, don't get me wrong, but all I needed, all you need is one yes a year. And after the course of several years, your whole life is different. So I was so motivated to get a deal that if I had to knock on a hundred doors to get one, that was a fair trade of time. And when someone wanted something from me, then I had a specific situation that I can go to the few people that I knew and say, Hey, I have this lady, this family, they want to sell their house. How should I structure this deal? And when I brought a specific question to a real estate investor or even an agent, they enjoyed talking to me. If I say, how do I invest in real estate? What do I do first? No one wants to answer that question. But if you're like, I have this deal, there's a hundred thousand in equity. They have to sell in two weeks. They want this. How can I structure this? You know, if you can find the deal, money's never a problem. So all I did, Jeff, was I just focused on getting to the next, the next step. You know, I've done a lot of like triathlons and Ironmans. And when I do those, I would just worry about getting to the next telephone pole, right? And people don't want to make offers. They don't want a cold call. So they, they, they use excuses. I have to learn everything first before I do those things. They have to have their office set up. They have to have a trash can and take, like they're putting all these excuses in front of the thing they need to do, which is just get out there and talk to people. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to pretend you're a pro. Um, and that's people get in their own way. They, they think they're posers or I'll never be able to help someone, but you probably can. Yeah. So in, as you related to today's world, which is a lot different than, than what you experienced, you know, within the dawn of social media and AI and all of these things, and, and I wouldn't even say dawn anymore of social, but dawn of AI for sure. 
you know, how can you leverage those tools to potentially create opportunity? Yeah, and that's a great question because the tech company that I founded was connectedinvestors.com. <clears throat> we became a conglomerate of a few different companies, also privatelenders.com. Uh, so essentially, Connected Investors was like the LinkedIn for real estate investors, founded it back in 2005, because the more people I was connected with, I could solve those problems for people. Facebook was only for individuals in an Ivy League school. I was at a community college. So it was, uh, there was a need there for me. So Connected Investors wound up becoming a data company where we helped individuals pinpoint potential sellers that would sell at a discount. Like you can narrow in and find everyone who has, you know, inherited a house, lives out of town, has a tax lien and has three kids and it's a two bedroom house, right? Like you could get as narrowed down as possible. And when I worked for my first, you know, partner, mentor, you know, I would go to the courthouse and I'd pull that information. So I just automated all of that. So there's Lots of data products out there that I'm sure your your team is is well aware of, but that's what I've I used and have been using even after selling Connected Investors. I bought about 176 properties last year to find discounted to find discounted properties, and those are all great questions to ponder. But you don't need to have the tools to get out there and start doing the actual actions. You know, I need a perfect tool and a perfect marketing funnel. And I swear those are just excuses between you and everything that you want in life. You got to get out there and start talking to people while you're doing those other things. Mm -hmm. But always make sure that you spend time doing those other things first. Say, sure, I can set up my marketing tools, but I need to spend at least two hours doing this first. Like, Put that first and then reward yourself with the automation um, and stuff like that. And maybe if you have agents underneath you, make sure they're not spending too much time on the automating of nothing. If you don't have a pipeline, there's nothing to automate, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, real. I think real human interaction is going to be getting more and more valuable as automation and bots take over. I mean, the Connected Investors, First American bought us the title company. I mean, the stuff that they're doing behind the scenes is, is next level. They are tying in a lot of the things that you, you talked about. I can't get into specifics, but if you haven't used connected investors, a lot of agents don't use it. So it could be a really good uh, competitive advantage. And if you used it a long time ago, I'm telling you every month, this thing is getting better and better. They're investing so much money into it that I was never able to never able to do. And first American has all of the data. They are the refinery of the oil, right? Like they go, they have tens of thousands of people that are getting the data, keying the data in. They sell it to other companies that have streaming softwares or come up with estimates in all sorts of different ways, right? Mm -hmm. So they are the source of data. And now they're, they're making that data available to uh, real estate investors and, and real estate agents. So definitely stay up to speed on that, on that type of stuff, but don't let it get in front of the actual stuff you need to do. So when you talk about that, that activity, uh, you know, and everything else is just an excuse. If somebody came to you today, like you came to so many people before you and said, okay, Ross, what is that thing I should be most focusing on right now 
to get this thing, to launch this thing off the ground? What is it? Well, for real estate investors, it's about making offers. Like whenever we would work with people, the more offers people would make, the more successful that they were. Um, that's just number one. For, for agents, I'm sure it's something, it's something similar, but just making sure that there are offers being made, even if they're not, you don't think they're going to be picked up. You're just learning so much by actually making offers and talking to people. And you can get that weird introduction to, you know what, my neighbor actually needs to sell. Like a lot of the dots, you know, you can't, you can't plan for the circumstances that are going to get you to, you know, that great deal um, or anything, anything around that. So anyway, just making offers for real but, estate. But making offers. So where do you even get to that point? You know, so it's nice to have the ability to make the offer, but that means you already, you know, aggregated the people and you found the people, right? So how do you even get to that point? Yeah. I mean, with our, when we had our data platform, you can log in and hit a button and you had everyone in your town of properties that were not listed that would potentially sell at a discount to an investor based off all of our backend algorithms. So you had more people to talk to than you possibly could every day. Back before the technology, I would go to the courthouse and I would just pull files. And on my way home, I would just stop by people's houses and knock on the doors. And if they weren't home, here's... Here's one trick I did that made me a ton of money. Uh, if I would see a house that had like tall grass or someone that was in foreclosure, it looked like no one lived there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I'm not telling people to do this here. I would actually put a sign in their yard that said investor special, say for sale investor special with my phone number on it. And what that did is I would get a lot of people calling me wanting to buy the house. So I'd build this cash buyer list, which was very difficult back when I was, it was harder to sell the property back then than to find the property. So I'd have a list of 20 or 30 people that wanted to buy it. And then I'd get that call from the homeowner who's like, who the heck are you? Yeah. You're trying to sell. I'm like, oh my gosh. Probably choice, probably more choice words than you probably shared. Care to yeah. Share. But it was more often than not, I was able to apologize, turn the conversation around and now I had contact with someone that needed to sell to sell their house. But that was because I was in the field and I had these signs and I'm like, I'm just going to stick this in the yard. Right. What would you, what would you apologize? Oops. Uh, I didn't mean to put that there. Uh, I would, I would mention that I had people that put signs out for me and they must've put it in the wrong yard. Okay. I'm like, Oh gosh, no, that's um, I'm sorry about that. Or sometimes I would just be straightforward with them. I mean, I've been looking for you. I thought the sign would get you to call. Um, it was actually a better tactic than we buy houses signs because we buy houses signs. You can get fined big time for that, but this is on private property. So it's, it's, it's a little bit of a loophole. Again, I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just telling you, you'll get your phone to ring. If your phone's not, uh, not ringing or you're having a hard time finding someone. Are you still doing that today? No, you don't have to, I assume. So, you know, and, and, and obviously this goes back to a time when the technology wasn't near what it is today. So if, you know, based on what you've described, like basically what I've heard you say is the technology exists to give you the data. You don't have to do the research. So what, what one piece of technology, if somebody was kind of like sitting on the edge of their chair saying, I'm, I'm ready, I want to go, where would you, where would you point them? 
Yeah, I'm going to be a little bit biased here because I've I built it and I've seen what they're doing. But well, connected, but you're using it too, I imagine, yeah. right? Exactly. The connected okay. investors pin software. It just you log in every day and you see you have your list right there. You can export it. You can have APIs to where all of that data goes into your software. I mean, it's because First American owns the data. They're allowed to let you do things that other companies can't. If you're super advanced and you want something crazy, you can call the company up and they can literally do anything because there's no... Connected Investors doesn't have a contract with the data provider like everyone else does. Everyone else is buying it from First American, you know, buying from First American, making it look good, but we are direct to the source Connected Investors is. So if you have a crazy idea, they can... um, you know, they can help you out with that. And a lot of people have different niches. You know, a lot of people work, all they want to do is buy land and you can do that there, multifamily. Um, so whatever your, whatever your niche is, uh, you can hone in on, on a niche through that, through that. It's all the data all the way back to 1890. Mm -hmm. So it goes, it goes back really deep and far. And, you know, it was really fun. Um, Jeff, when I first started working there, I got to see all the data that, they couldn't show anyone else. And they're like, should we do anything with this? And the biggest problem I was trying to solve is how do you contact the owner of a house that's vacant, right? It's just sitting there. You know, there's money there. So many problems there. One of the pieces of data that we found that maybe for agents is easy, but for investors, it wasn't, was the previous listing and uh, the previous listing agent. So house is there vacant. It was listed 10 years ago by Jeff. Here's Jeff's contact info. So, and they were able to call that agent, that agent was able to dig up their contact info. So that was just one of the many cool pieces of data they had in their chest that they didn't know what to do with because they hadn't been in the streets like me, you know, or or the people on your show. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, And so you, and what, what year did you sell to First American? A year and a half ago. Oh, wow. That reason. right Right before the crash. Um, not, not the crash, but just the, the correction where tech, companies, you know, tech you companies. Right, right around the end of COVID, I guess. Yeah. Yes. We sold during, we served. Yes. We sold during COVID, Got it. which we saw a huge surge in revenue due to COVID, uh, like a lot of companies might've, and, uh, we were able to sell on an, on an upswing, which was, which was perfect. Yeah. It's a, it's a time to sell. So then, so then I got a totally unrelated question in a, in a way, but I've always curious to ask this because I get to, I get to talk. I'm, I'm fortunate. I get to talk to cool people like you. Uh, you sell a company for almost a hundred million dollars. Uh, why aren't you on an island on a boat somewhere, just dicking around and doing nothing? Um, I bought a mountain. <laughs> I'm on a I am on a mountain. <laughs> I don't like uh, boats. My, well, I mean, my wife doesn't like boats, but, uh, you know, having children, even if you have a lot of money, you need stability for, um, for the kids, or that's something that my wife and I value. But what I decided to do, you know, when you sell like that, um, it's not about retirement to me, it was rewirement and you don't need to sell for tons of money to rewire everything. What that means is all the priorities are different. So I get to rewire all my priorities. And that was really, it's been a really exciting time. But what I found is while I was on the, while I was building, I wasn't very charitable. It was all about me hitting my goals. I always told myself, once I get to the top, then I'll, then I'll give, it was the excuse I gave myself. It was a horrible excuse to buy. 
But um, since then, I founded a charity called Saving Homes to where we help people save the homes that they're in in a really unique way. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see my, my shirt. If you go to savinghomes.org, you should definitely check it out because we actually need real estate agents um, to sign up in all different areas to help support us. When someone's losing their house to foreclosure, I know every trick that an investor is going to pull. I know all of the BS. And if these families lose their house, they can't get a rental, right? Rentals are impossible. They're going to have to move school districts. Their kid's going to lose their best friend. They're going to have to give up their damn dog. Like I've seen this happen. So now we're coming back with unique, innovative ways to help people save their homes, preserve their equity that they can then use to leverage, to send their kids to college, to help their kids buy a house. The generational impact of owning real estate is mind blowing. It's the number one way to become a millionaire, but it's also the number one way out of poverty in America. So we, I am on an absolute mission to help people achieve home ownership. And I'm using all my time, energy, and influence um, to do that. Because now I prioritize myself solely on social impact outside of, um, outside of the other side. And Jeff, what's really unique about this, this mission is when we help these people save their house in the future, when they refinance or when they sell, the money comes back to the charity so we can help someone else. We're not charging interest. There's no fees. We give someone 10 grand to save their house, whether it's a year or 10 years or a hundred years, when that house sells, the money comes back to the charity. We can help someone else. So it has this echo effect. It's like the energizer bunny of donations. Your donation gives and gives and gives and gives and keeps giving and giving um, for, for generations to come potentially. So I'm really excited to kind of, to kind of move that. I'm only 41 and I need to be uh, you know, an entrepreneur my whole life. So I, I can't just sit still. I just switched what, what the, what my dopamine was, right? My dopamine before was money. Now it's, now it's helping people. And uh, yeah, that's, that, that's where I'm at. All right. Yeah. So I'm going to get back to the buying a mountain, but, but while we're on the saving homes, I want to, I want to ask you some questions because that's fascinating. So you're going into someone that's what in financial distress about ready to lose it to foreclosure. Is that typically what's happening? Yeah. Absolutely. And so, but, but my first thought is, and I don't mean to be callous here, but a lot of times, uh, you know, there's, there's maybe a story behind the story with someone why they're losing a home. Like, you know, they were very irresponsible, uh, with their money and they did some things maybe, or they have their priorities whacked or they spend too much time in a casino or, you know, again, it, it, th those sorts of things. Uh, how do you vet that? Because, you know, I've, I've got a, a tenure in the mortgage business and, you know, you know, always doing, talking to borrowers all the time and, you know, cash out refinances, pay off your credit card debt. And I always felt bad about that because I knew like the vast majority of the people I'm doing this for, the reason why they're in that position in the first place is because they're not responsible. And so I'm going to pay off your credit card debt. So what you can go do it again. And, and, you know, that's what was in always in my head. And so that would be my question to you is how do you vet something like that for something like this? So you essentially don't get screwed and you're helping people just do it all over again. Yeah, no. And that's, that's number one. And being an entrepreneur and a real estate investor, that's kind of where my head was as well. And like I said, when I first started, I would knock on doors and I would be invited into houses and I'd sit down and I'd see these, these families and 50 over 55% of foreclosures are because of an unforeseen medical bill, 
which is, you know, not someone doing the wrong thing. Maybe they had a hard time getting ahead. And our primary focus is on homes with children because just because their parents are, even if they were a little bit negligent, they made a bad decision here or there, you know, the stability for the children is kind of our number one. So we pinpoint people with multiple children. That's how, those are the first people we look for. Because even if they only stay in the house for another year or two, that's stability. That's being with their best friend for another year or two. Like it is monumentally huge. And if they're going to fall back into default, which a lot of them are, I understand that. There's enough equity in the house houses for the charity to get its money back. And we can also help them sell their house without getting taken advantage of by a real estate investor. We can make sure they have a place to go. So we're looking for soft landings and there will be um, families that it's just a temporary patch, but the money comes back to the charity. So great. Yeah. There's other families that it will be a generational patch. And that's kind of really what we're focusing on. But yeah, I mean, I've been in the houses with, um, with those people and it's, you know, it's a mixed bag and we're, I'm really excited to get in there and roll up my sleeves as an entrepreneur and come up with, um, you know, with solutions. We have some really innovative stuff we're doing, Jeff. In 2025, people will be able to lower their house payments in some very innovative ways um, by selling percentages of their house to investors. Because if you can't afford two grand, you can't afford two grand. Maybe you can afford 1200. So an investor can come in and purchase a piece of their property they can, they'd rather have 52% of their house than 0%. Yeah. Um, this, does this have to do with blockchain? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of for-profit companies that I am very tied into that I'm watching them uh, work on that. And once they have it figured out, I want to implement it into the charity. But, you know, the future of real estate is fractional. Yeah. NFTs, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Every absolutely. house will be like its own stock. You'll be able to sell bits and pieces of your house and- Wall Street wants real estate to be fluid and fast um, and it's, it's happening. So yeah. yeah, it's definitely exciting. Funny you mentioned that. So, so I interview uh, and I monthly, the, a company, uh, the, the gals who run the company called consortia who are a big part of this uh, consortia is a big part of building re the blockchain for real estate and they're working closely with fed now and all this kind of stuff. So um, if you're listening to this and you have no idea what we're just, what we just were just spit out, you need to start paying attention. Go type this stuff into a Google search or YouTube search and go consume uh, about fractional real estate, blockchain as it, as it relates to real estate, not to cryptocurrency, uh, because uh, those that embrace and understand it will give themselves a leg up. Okay, so Ross, let's get back to some real estate questions. Mm -hmm. So I, I like doing this just because, again, now, now getting to know you a little bit, knowing where your headspace is as a human being, it's it's fascinating to know that because I've always questioned that. Like, what would I do if I just came into you know five, 10 million, which is which is enough to just be done at any age, basically, if you do it right. And and obviously you came into a hell of a lot more than that. So you bought a mountain. What the hell does that mean? You can't <laughs> buy mountains. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we were um there was a wedding facility that was struggling because of COVID. It was, you know, so much acreage, multiple properties, you know, pavilions, lakes, mountain bike trails. I, you know, yesterday I was three hours in the woods, just riding my bike, building trails and stuff like that. So, um, 
yeah, when we saw this place, we're like, that's like the dream. I can see the city of Asheville from the top of my mountain, oh. you know, in the distance, it's like this big, it looks like New York. And it's, you know, just building a self-sustainable, just little, you know, garden of Eden really is what we're, um, yeah, is what we're doing out here. And also building a really, really cool house. I mean, Jeff, my, uh, my pool in my house. <laughs> Wait, a pool in your house? No, in? well, um, almost, but you know, the doors open up to where it's like, you know, 20 foot wide. It's all slate inside, goes slate outside. I press a button and the slate submerges into the water. And I can <laughs> choose, up. I can choose how deep I want my pool, which is um, really cool. Cause you have yeah. kids by, yeah. you can just have a little two foot pool. It goes all the way down to six feet. Wow. So, um, and you would never know there was a pool there. My daughter just wants to tie me up and press the button and have me like slowly, you know, submerge down into the water and save me. Wow. I've never even heard of that before. That is really awesome. Yeah. So we're doing some cool stuff up here, but you know, I just really wanted to just dive into nature and try to get out of the competitive um, aspect that I, I had been in for so, for so long. I feel like a recovering capitalist right now. Um, Cause that's been my DNA since I was like 10. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm just trying to see the other side of the world where every decision isn't focused on money, yeah. which was how I was for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, in, in your defense, so are most human beings, to be honest, you know, you either you get, if you got that in your flowing through your blood, it just, it is what it is. But I, that's why I asked the question. Cause it's always, I'm always curious because most uh, Uber successful people don't just quit working. They just can't. And, and so it's kind of fascinating to, to hear the responses. So Let's get let's get back on on the real estate. I always have fun digressing and going down rabbit holes of personal stuff. I think it's yeah. cool. Um, you know, I, I'm actually, and I don't, I'm not, a, as you already know, I don't follow a template when I interview anyone. We just we just talk, and but you, everyone, most guests have a template, and you know, your team sent me over a template, and there's some interesting questions that I want to ask you from that template. One of them uh, was about the use of drones is the future of home buying. Like what, what does that even mean? I mean, drones for marketing a property, but what do you mean the future of home buying done by using drones? It's, it's going to be, a, I will explain it. Um, but I created an actual video. Uh, people would always interview me and they'd say, Hey, what's the future of real estate look like? I sat at the helm of a huge social network of a few million then first American. So I got to see inside an $8 billion company. So I had unique viewpoints and I had been in the, the trenches doing it. So I had unique viewpoints and I watched where people would bump their heads against scaling. And it was always the inspection, like seeing inside the house. Like the last time I bought real estate, I bought the 176 properties at one time. That's kind of how I'm buying real estate now. And, you know, the biggest challenge was seeing inside all of those houses so I created this video. I could I could give you a link to it. It's and you can put it in the notes. It shows you know a driverless car pulling up to a house, uh, trunk opens, drone flies out, uses lidar technology to scan the entire house to find all the repairs, flies out of the house and gives the seller an offer, and they hit accept and they sell. Like that will happen eventually because it's about removing the inefficiencies. And the increasing the velocities in real estate. So, the future of real estate to me is is a, a blend of that, and then we touched on it: the fractional ownership in real. That's what I've been touting for the last five years, and it's cool to see it 
you know, start to come uh, full circle. Yeah. And I'm excited to listen to your podcast with that other team. Yeah. Well, there's, a, there's a bunch of episodes. It's, it's actually, it's interesting how it's evolved too, by the way. It's uh, we started this uh, probably eight months ago and now it's, it's, you know, now, now fed now is in the game and they've been meeting with the fed and that kind of stuff. So it's pretty fascinating where they're at. Happy to make an introduction to them as well. If you're, if you're yeah. curious. Uh, okay. That's cool. I've never heard that before. That's, that yeah. was a first. Uh, so we're going to replace inspectors now. So you're going to piss people off there. Um, got it. All right. So how, how is, uh, this is, this is probably a, a passionate one for some people because I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of thoughts or conspiracies around, you know, how much, how much is the government kind of manipulating what's going on in the world? And, and you mentioned wall street and insider trading, how is it manipulating the housing market? What's your take on where we are, where we went from twos and threes, and they're always trying to fix the economy with low interest rates. Now here they are trying to fix the economy with high interest rates, but a lot of people don't understand the inflation and all that kind of stuff. How would you articulate that from your place? Yeah. Um, a lot of different ways we can go with that, but people, you know, ask me, Hey, is now a good time to be buying, to be buying real estate? And anytime I've slowed down buying real estate because of, you know, buying into the media, I've always regretted it. And as, because I've always been able to buy at a discount. So it's always the right time to buy real estate. If you can buy with favorable terms or at a, or at a slight discount. Right. So anyway, that's the answer to that. But the Wall Street coming in, they are just we didn't have that in the, during the last crash. What the, I survived the last crash because I was in a military town and they had plenty of funding to buy real estate. I was doing so I was making so much money during the crash because of where I was investing. Mm -hmm. But now you have. Wall Street coming in, there's no, you're not going to see foreclosures like you used to see them and short sales because banks can't own real estate, right? But these huge Wall Street firms and the banks are sitting down together right now. And they're just like, hey, I got $2 billion. Let me get some real estate. And they're just, they're trading real estate in other, in other ways. So it never makes it to the street. It never makes it to us. So I don't under, I don't know how the government is involved there or lack of being involved. I just know there's more money. There's an endless supply of money to buy real estate, to buy hard, tangible assets. And I'm, I'm building a house right now, like I mentioned, and I am like blown away with the cost of, of building compared to when I used to do a lot of rehabs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's why Wall Street's buying as much as they can, because the replacement cost, you know, they'll, they'll value houses based on how much it would cost to actually build that house mm -hmm. today. And if they can buy for less than it costs to build, they're going to buy. It, yeah. It's a deal. Yeah. Um, so there's just so much money flooding into flooding into real estate right now. Still, um, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm seeing. You know, I don't think that if we fast forward ten, gosh, ten years seems like even too much. Can to we talk. fast forward just two? Two. Yeah, I was going to say usually it's three years, two three years. Um, but I don't believe that my children will be able to be a mom and pop real estate investor by the time, by the time they're ready, because all the inefficient, it'll be like the margins will be small. It'll be wall street. They'll be buying like REITs and yeah. pieces of their friends' houses. It'll just be, it'll just be different. The days of going to the courthouse and all those inefficiencies will get, will get worked out. 
how real estate agents are going to stay um, relative, you know, through all that is going to be really, um, really interesting. Uh, and I think time will, time will tell you guys spend a lot of money lobbying. So <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see how, we'll, well see that how that, we'll see how that yeah. goes. But I mean, even when I, when I sold my house, you know, I used a real estate agent, um, for a lot of different, for a lot of different reasons. So that you guys are protected for a little while. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I, for the foreseeable future, humans yeah. are still going to be a big part of the process. And, and AI even says that I've asked that question, will you replace a real estate agents? And it's fascinating to hear its answer. Now, maybe it's being PC, but it. it basically says that, you know, there's just too much emotion involved in something like this. And that's where humans are always going to be necessary. But for the invest on the investment side though. Yeah. Different. That's yeah. where agents will be replaced first. And yeah. because, uh, because it's, there's, there's, there is no emotion there. No emotion. It's, it's an investment. Yeah. My favorite, uh, just to piggyback off that, my favorite AI quote I heard is you're not going to be replaced by AI. You're going to be replaced by someone who uses AI. Correct. We say this. You know? yep. So. yep. Yep. All right. Uh, well, and by the way, newsflash, Ross, the reason why the, your house is costing so much to build is because you have a, a pool that has a floor that moves. That's why your house is so expensive to build. Isn't that what everyone puts in their house? Isn't that like a starter home? No, no, yeah. I mean, the uh, yeah, building on the top of a mountain is challenging. Also, yeah. And it's, you know, they have to like fly some stuff in, but we'll, but even that aside, I'm just looking at the raw cost of, of certain things. Last question. Uh, what What is your short-term outlook for the real estate market just from your seat? Sitting sitting from a seat where it doesn't affect you. It doesn't matter what happens. You're set. Uh, what is your, what is, what do you see? Cause we just talked about that, you know, with, with what AI could and couldn't do. And, and so if I'm a real estate agent, you know, uh, living in this world right now where everyone is struggling now some different degrees but everyone's down there's just not as much business you know transacting right now so where do you see things going in the next uh one to two years um well with where my focus is with my charity i understand that it's not if something's going to happen it's just when i cannot predict when there's going to be corrections you know i like to watch you know, the employment rate is really important. Um, but I am, I am personally getting, um, I'm keeping a lot of my cash on the sidelines. I'm buying good deals when they come, come across, but there, there will be some great buying opportunities, um, you know, in the, in the future at some point, you know, I can't believe it's what lasted this long. Again, it doesn't mean don't buy. It just means buy right. Um, and then just spool up for, for a great wealth shift which is, uh, which, which is happening. Yeah. So did I just hear you say that this will cycle like everything has and hang in there and position yourself for what is potentially going to come? We don't know when, we don't know how, but there's going to be opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the general thinking. It's not if it's just when, yeah. right. There are cycles, cycles for a reason. Yeah. Um, and it seems like we're at the end of the cycle, but we will see what happens uh, with the election. Yeah, I think this, that's going to, there's just, there's, there's so many unknowns. That's everyone I talk to is there's no historical data to look back on with all of yeah, the yeah. stuff that's going on. All the prognosticators but, have now been wrong over the last 18 months. And now they've gone quiet because they know, like, I don't think I can predict this. So let's just, uh, you know, but Jeff, when there's change, there's opportunity. Yeah. So just, keep your mindset in opportunity mindset 
Don't blame the media. Don't blame anything. There is tons of opportunity. Exciting time to be building a business right now. Building from this from this stage, having a bit an old business right now. It's like having an old car company. They're having to like throw away all their old technology to have electric now, right? It's great to be able to build an electric car company today and not have all that legacy BS, which a lot of companies uh, a lot of companies do have. Awesome. Uh, Ross, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, you already mentioned uh, savinghomes.org, but if somebody wants to just, you know, directly connect with you, how, what's the best place to do that? You know what? Um, actually email me as I'll probably be the only one to ever say that. Um, my email address, maybe you can, you can even put it in the, in the notes, Ross yeah. at successcap.com, Ross at successcap.com. If you have any interest in being part of our mission, if you want to be an agent in your area, when people do need to sell, um, reach reach out to us. We're starting to build the team. The same, I'm doing this the same way I did other stuff, Jeff. I am, am pulling together the best of the best. You know, our dream team is what I call them. Collectively, we're worth a billion dollars, and we're we're going in to help people first save the houses they're in, and then um, be able to provide affordable housing for people. Not affordable rentals, affordable housing. We're we're donating a house to. Uh, to someone in the next few weeks. So we're doing a lot of cool things. This November is when it officially kicks off the charity. Um, but we've been building a lot of the foundation there. So yeah, Ross at successcap.com. Shoot me an email. I'm not allowed to sell my real estate information anymore. So if you email me, I just give you everything I used to sell um, on buying properties below market. Um, oh, my! I'll put my drone video in there. On uh, You can see that. And I wrote a few books. If you're in your 20s, one of the books I wrote was Real Estate Investing in Your 20s. I wrote that when I was in my 20s before I had done my first deal. So it's written like a diary. I've never seen another book like that. Like I started writing the book, Jeff, when I was broke. And I published it once I had a net worth of a million. So you get to see a, um, you get to see, it's like a driver. It's like being a passenger seat, not a look back, but you're, you're coming with me. Anyway, I'll just give you everything I got. Just shoot me over an email. And if you want to be part of the charity, Please, I mean, just throw five bucks in there. Um, it helps just to have donations come in so I can start working out all the systems and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Um, yeah. Five, ten, hundred, ten thousand dollars anything you can do to help. <laughs> no uh, pressure. It's a, it's a tax write-up. And if you know someone that's in foreclosure, duh, you can send them to saving homes. Because yeah. currently, if your uncle's in foreclosure and you give him 10 grand to pull him out, that's not a tax write-off. Yeah. You can go to saving homes and you can donate to saving homes for a specific friend or family. Oh. And then you get, you get the tax write-off, which is a huge thing. Yeah, great vehicle. Um, so there's, you know, when you come across people in foreclosure, if they need help, they can go to saving homes. Um, and agents are going to be a big part of what we're doing. So I was really excited to be here. And Jeff, that email address one more time. Ross at successcap.com. Successcap, like Jeff is wearing, dot, dot com. Um, it was my old lending company. I just had the domain. So yeah, just shoot me over an email. And uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing from your people. Awesome, man. Thank you for being a guest. It's been a fun interview. Absolutely. Today's podcast is brought to you by Follow a Boss. Follow a Boss is the real estate CRM that turns every agent into a top performer. Follow a Boss is packed with features, but it's intuitive and easy to use. So agents love working with it and it integrates with everything. Use multiple lead sources. Guess what? Follow a boss keeps them all organized. Want to try new marketing channels? 
switch website providers? Plug them right into Follow Up Boss. Visit followupboss.com forward slash lab code to see how Follow Up Boss helps you close more deals. That's followupboss.com forward slash lab code. Agents Podcast.